0: awesome. So this is part two of our three-part series, God of Boundaries. And this came about when I was just thinking about some of the, what I would call consumerism, some of the Western culture that has crept into the church and how we relate to God and how we interact with God and the things of God. And the statement that came to me was, God is without limits, but we are not. And he's well aware of that. And when you read the Bible, you see that he gives us boundaries constantly. Even his most favored person is given boundaries. He gives limits. I I think of David, and he's a man after God's own heart, the only person that God said that about. He's a man after my own heart, but I won't let him build me a temple. You see, there's boundaries. He gives us each a measure of faith, a metron which you can think of as a sphere of influence, or you can think of as a measured out portion that he gives us each. And our kind of anchor verse here is Romans 12:3. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. And to combat some of this consumerism, that I feel has come in some of this greater, bigger, farther, faster kind of mentality. I wanted to start addressing the fact that he gives us a measure. And yes, and we'll talk about this, especially next week, our measure changes. It can grow. I'm not saying you're stuck with whatever he gives you from birth, because you're not. There are ways that he grows our measure. But we need to understand our measure and we need to stay in our measure. And last week we talked about Two things that happen when we start beginning to understand our measure. The first thing is it gives us direction. You see, he gives us a gift of faith, a gift of grace, a measure to do something. He doesn't just give it to us so we can enjoy it. He gives us to to do something. The Bible says he prepares good works for us to accomplish. So the first thing is when I start understanding my measure, I start understanding and getting direction in my life of how God wants to lead me. The other thing that's really important that we talked about is when I'm in my measure, I'm in the most protected place I can be. Because when I'm in the measure, when I'm in the will of God, that's where I'm surrounded by his promises. You see, when he gives you a boundary, he gives you the victory and the empowerment necessary to occupy it. So when I'm in my measure, I'm protected. When I step out of my measure is when I'm suddenly susceptible to deception, to lies, to the designs of the enemy, to the culture that I live in. That's when I become susceptible. And I talked about one of the main things I see in Christianity is people, instead of focusing on God, they start focusing on the things of God, which sounds great and sounds good and can have beneficial effect, but sometimes can take them out of the protection of their measure And suddenly, they form idols, and they start idolizing things and creating things and putting things in front of God. And the deceptive thing for Christians is we do that with things of God. And so we don't necessarily notice we're no longer worshiping God, we're worshiping the things of God. And the scary thing about idols in Ezekiel, it says God will talk to you through the idol in your heart, which means that when I have an idol, it's harder to hear from God clearly. And if it's harder to hear from God clearly, it's hard to get direction. And the way we combat that is we step back into the measure and we ask God, as the way I said it last week is I said, ask Jesus to come into your heart like he came into the temple and to throw out all the money. Lord, come in and just tear down all the idols I have in my heart. Throw them out of the temple because I want you there. Amen. So this week, I want to talk about a couple more things. And the, the overall heading for this week would be energize energized. When we're in our metron, our measure, we get energized. And and we can break that down, from my perspective, we can break it down into three simple things. We can go faster, we can reduce waste, and we can build faith. And the overarching story I want us to think about is um, generally the Israelites leaving uh, Egypt and going into the promised land in that process and then also more specifically I want to look at Caleb because I really love Caleb I think he's awesome and so I want to look at that so uh, I don't really have the specific verses we're not going to be doing that today sorry guys but in general obviously for Caleb we're going to be looking at numbers 13 and 14 uh, just so you can look at it later or look at it while I'm talking if you feel like you can handle it so what does it mean when I say you can go faster? Well, in my notes, if you see it, it says go faster and then it has in parentheses, then you would go on your own. Because I say go faster and some of you guys might go, wait, Miko, I thought you were trying to get away from that commercialism, me too, uh, consumer, faster, faster, faster mentality, but now you're saying when I'm in the will of God, I go faster. You go faster than you would on your own. You're still in God's timing. And what I'm reminded of is, is when God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt. The journey from Egypt to the promised land is about 11 days. They, they didn't take that route. The fastest route is about 11 days. They didn't do that. God actually literally said, I'm going to have you avoid the land of the Philistines because I'm fearful that right now, if you go there the thought of having to fight will scare you and you will go back to Egypt. He literally says that. So God knows. So the quickest thing would be if Moses was just looking at a map going, how do we get to the promised land that he promised us, that I already have the boundaries marked that he promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then told me, oh, it's 11 days. But God said, don't go that way, because if you go that way, you'll go into the land of the Philistines and you are not ready yet. So it doesn't always feel faster to us. We might in in the natural go, well, if I just did that, then I would get there. Guys, I became ordained in 2017. I thought I would be ordained a lot quicker than that, okay? I became the head pastor of a church in 2023. Guys, I thought that was a lot quicker. It would happen a lot quicker. When you asked me in high school, I had it all laid out. I had it all laid out, and most likely at 30, I would have been a head pastor, not 35 or 34. So in my plan, it was quicker. In God's plan, it was better. And I also know because my plan didn't work out, if I had actually stuck to my plan, I probably wouldn't be where I am right now. I'd still be looking and waiting and being frustrated. So we go faster because we're in the will of God. And God sees everything. You know, the, I love the term he's competent. He's super competent. He literally knows everything. And so when he says, go left, but you go, well, no, Lord, the directions, you mean right. He goes, no, I said go left. We need to start submitting and saying, okay, yeah, he knows what he's talking about. I'm going to go left because this will get me there faster in his will than if I did it in my will, amen? So I just wanna say, you know, uh, faster isn't always faster than natural. It just, I promise you it's always faster than if you did it on your own. Caleb, because of circumstances out of his control, Caleb was 40 when they made it to the border of the promised land. And he was one of the spies chosen with Joshua and the others to go into the land, and only Joshua and him came back and said, let's take it, and Caleb said, let's take it. God will go before us. He's promised us. Let's take it, and the other, him and Joshua agreed, and all the other uh, spies said, no, 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 no. There's giants in the land. There's heavily fortified towns in the land. We are crickets in their sight. No, and they, it's the Bible says they melted the hearts of the people, and because of that, God said, forget it. Actually, what I love is God said, I'm killing you all. I'm done. He goes, i am done. I've done all these things for you. I've performed all these miracles. You still grumble. You still complain. I am done. I'm going to wipe you all out. And Moses said, oh, God, don't do that. He reasoned with him. He said, what will the people of this world say if they saw you take your people out and they've seen all these miracles and then you just kill everybody. So Father, please don't. Oh Lord, don't. And he said, because of you, I won't. But all of these disbelieving people will not see the promised land. You know what that did? That delayed Caleb 40 years. Another 40 years. So he doesn't even enter the promised land until he's 80. But then there's a process because they don't just enter the promised land and get it all. There's a process. God leads them in conquest, and God leads them in taking territory, and that takes about five years and at the end of five years, they're getting ready to go to the next stage and then Caleb, at eighty five, says, "Joshua, Moses promised me this land as my inheritance. Can I take my tribe and I believe if I go there, God will give me the victory. Can I go and claim my inheritance and And Joshua says yes. And he goes and he claims his his inheritance for his tribe, for his people at 85. This is the same territory he was ready and believing when he was 40. He had to wait 45 more years. But I'm telling you that's fast in God's eyes. So the first thing is we have to always be aware. It might not go as fast as we want it to. But it's always the fastest way if we're in our measure of faith, if we're in the will of God. In that same vein, it reduces waste when we're in the will of God. I can't tell you how many times something has taken longer because God said, go left, and I said, I'm going to go right. And when I go make my own choice and my own decision. And I pursue my own plans. It takes energy and effort. We, we talked about this last week. Charlie and I, Charlie taught me this principle. And it's so true. If God didn't put me somewhere, that means I put me somewhere. And I have to keep me there. And that takes time and that takes energy. But if God puts me somewhere, God put me there. God needs to keep me there. And God will move me on or move me how he wants, but it's in his timing and it's his energy and he does it. I still have to do things, but he does it. I'm not here because of my own schemes, my own plans, you know, my own amazingness. I'm here because God put me here. So guess what? God will have to move me. I don't have to worry about it. I don't expend energy trying to keep myself there. And I'm very cognizant of that. When we talk about know your lane, know your metron, it's because you want to make sure that when you get an invitation to be someplace, God is leading you there. Because when God leads you there, you have several promises. One, it's for your good. There's a victory there, and it's in his will. So he'll keep you there. You don't have to keep you there. When those things aren't there, who knows? Maybe it'll be good. Maybe you'll get some benefit. Maybe. But you have to put yourself there. You have to keep yourself there. And it's exhausting. I don't know about you. I've been in situations where I'm like, I'm here because I finangled my way here. I'm here because I, I, I wheedled an invitation, right? I. This is a silly, silly uh, example. But when I was in high school, we had small groups. And I had a... Um, not cool small group. Like the leader was a little bit of a dork and uh, it just wasn't a cool small group. And uh, my friends, they got paired into this really cool small group. The leader was really cool. He lived downtown. He was, he was, uh, you know, he was fun. And I was like, and I'm stuck with this guy and these people. And I remember I went on a campaign for about three months of trying to, you know, it'd be really cool if I could join this group you know my friends are really in this group and I'm not really getting along with and I tried and I tried and finally I got an invite got an invite hey we're going to do a movie night Uh, you want to come I was like yes I'm going to be in this group I'm going to be with the cool kids I'm going to make it this is awesome I got the cool leader the cool group they do the cool things and I'm there and I I felt uncomfortable and it felt awkward and this is the weird part these are my friends like I was it wasn't like a new group like my friends were in this group you think i'd feel the most comfortable i felt the most awkward i felt like i was auditioning i felt like i had to perform and then i made a mistake i, I said something stupid and childlike because i was stupid and and immature and uh the leader's wife heard me and she decided to tell the whole group i said that and scold me like you know reprimand me in public and so i got really embarrassed and it was not fun. It was not cool. And I said, I don't want to be with you guys. I want to be with the dork group over here. Right? That's a silly example. But that's what I mean. When I'm outside of the will of God, I'm outside of my measure of faith, I'm insecure. I feel like I have to perform and prove. I feel like I have to make my own way. And that's really uncomfortable. And then if I make a mistake, I mean, literally, that situation, we laugh at it, or chuckle or just kind of you guys listen to it and go, okay, that happened to Miko. I had to go through inner healing for that. Isn't that silly? Like I had to talk to somebody and pray and go, where was Jesus when that happened? Right? Before I could get a level of healing for that embarrassment. I mean it was and it was small. As, an, as a kid now, I'm like I was an adult as a kid now. As an adult now, I look back and go, that was something silly and stupid. But, man, I dealt with shame and embarrassment with that for years before I finally just sat down and said, okay, Lord, let's deal with this. Like, I don't want to feel this way when that memory pops up. That's really silly. But that happened because I was trying to do my own thing, and I was trying to use my own schemes to get to someplace where I thought it would be better, and it wasn't. We do that all the time with God. You know, the other verse we have For this is in uh, 2 Corinthians, and it talks about it's foolishness to compare your measure with anyone else's. But we do that all the time. See, I was looking at my group going, oh, we're kind of dorks over here, and they're kind of cool, and that leader is better than this leader, and I want to be in the best group. That was ridiculous. I was comparing something that really didn't need to compare. It's a high school youth group, small group. Like, Who cares? Now we all do this for other things though. The grass is greener. We look at the neighbors and go, I want what they want. We do that with our, with our Christian brothers and sisters. Oh, they seem to have this gift. I want that gifting. That gift seems to be more important than mine. You know, we're a charismatic church. We believe we hear from God, which constantly means we're talking and dealing with people's insecurities about how they hear from God. And that's okay. It's natural. That's part of the, the, uh, trade-off in empowering people to go, guys, you can all hear from God, then people go, okay, how do you hear from God versus how I hear from God? And it seems like you hear better, and and we deal with this, and, and it's like, we're not supposed to do that. We're just supposed to thank God for the measure He gave us and understand that He interacts and treats us individually based on the measure He gave us. We were at Guy's group, and we were talking about the gift of tongues, and I said, some people have it, some people don't. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. That's their measure, not yours. Trust the Lord. So when we're in the will, it reduces waste. When we're not, it doesn't. The obvious example, Israelites took 40 years to get into a place they could have gotten into, 11 and 11. 40 years because they... Didn't understand it, they didn't see that. You know, my favorite story about that is literally, God says, I'm just gonna kill you all. Moses says, No, don't do that, and talks, I'm saying this facetiously, talks God off the off the edge. And then he says, Fine, but this disobedient generation will not see the promised land. And do you know what their response to that was? Oh, well, okay, no, guys, let's go, let's go to the promised land, let's do it. Surely God will deliver us. God will send the angel in before us. Let's go. Let's all do it. That was their response. When God said, nope, you're done, they said, no, 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 no. We'll do it. We'll do it. We'll do it. How many? <laughs> reminds me of my kids. Don't make me get up. Stop doing that. If I get up, there'll be a consequence. They keep on doing it. I get up. Oh, no, 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 no. no. We'll listen now. I'm sorry. I made a promise. There's a consequence now. doesn't matter that you're listening now. Should have listened before, right? And they got wiped out, by the way. Because the thing that was in the will of God suddenly wasn't anymore. Now, here's an interesting thing. This is the thought experiment I always do in my head. I go, you know, I wonder if their response was, a, no, 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 we'll do it, we'll do it, we'll do it. Their response was instead, we're so sorry. If their response was instead turning to repentance and going, you're right, we let fear overcome our faith in you, please forgive us. I wonder if they would have wandered for 40 years. I don't think they would have. But instead, they tried to do that thing of, pretend I didn't say it, pretend I didn't do it. And God was like, no, at that point, it's no longer in my will. And they tried to take the promised land that was no longer promised to them. And they got wiped out. When we resist God, Doors close. And sometimes he says, Doors close for a season, and you have to wait for it to open again. I'm grateful that God is full of mercy, and I'm grateful that I don't always get what I deserve. And I've shared the times I've had to pray, Father, I made that mistake, and I know I made that mistake, but please show me mercy and withhold the deserved consequence. And sometimes he's answered that prayer and sometimes he hasn't. And I'm always grateful the times he answered that prayer because I say, thank you, Father, because you've allowed me to avoid wasting time and energy. And sometimes when he doesn't answer that prayer and I have to suffer the consequence, I thank the Lord and I say thank you because I know eventually you'll turn this for my good because I've turned back to you in repentance and I'm stepping back into my metron. So I know that I might have introduced some time to the process, but I also know you're going to make good use of this time. And when you're in your will, your will, not your will, when you're in the will of God, It builds our faith, because the thing about the measure of faith he gives you, when you're in it, he answers. When you're in the boundaries he's placed in your life, he's prepared victories and good works. So when you step into those victories and those good works, it builds faith. You see, the problem with the Israelites is they lived in the miracle after miracle after miracle, and they never let it penetrate their heart. They never realized God is really who he says he is. He really means it. I don't understand that. But then the Lord rebukes me and goes, yes, you do. Because there is miracle after miracle in my life. And yet there are still times that I doubt God. There's still times that I go, Lord, this seems too big. And He has to remind me, I thought I dealt with this stuff for you before. There's times that I'm looking at God, thinking about my finances, and going, Lord, I just don't understand. I don't, don't think you can do it this time. And He has to go, Really? How many times have I come and saved you financially? Using family, using friends, miraculous. How many times before you realize I will take care of your need? And so then I go, okay, I kind of get it. I kind of understand they look like Israelites, because sometimes we do that. We think, man, if I had a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day, if I had food provided for me every day except for one, I would believe when the Lord says, here's the promised land, I'll send an angel before you that will drive them out before you. I would believe him. But then we actually go through our lives with miracles every day, and we don't. And I go, okay, Lord, I get it. But when we're in our measure of faith, when we're in the boundary he marked for us and we start talking to God and we get our vision and direction and we're realizing what we're doing, we start seeing the miracles and it builds the faith. And so if you guys are like, I don't know, I need to see more miracles, okay, Lord, open their spiritual eyes that they see the miracles that you perform every day that they become new and fresh to them. He says he renews his mercies every day. So every day there's new ones for you to be in awe and thankful for. And when we change our perspective and we begin to see God moving, our faith grows. But to do that, We need to be in the measure of our faith. Because if you want to go to a barren desert for 40 years, you step out of the metron he gave you. So if you're like, no, I prayed and I don't see miracles, I want to challenge you. Are you in your measure of faith? Because when you don't see miracles is when you're outside of your measure of faith. Literally, you don't have the faith for it. So you need to step back into the will, step back into the bounded space he's given you, and then you'll start seeing them again. You know, it isn't it isn't a perfect science. We're subjective humans, but there's that time where, you know, Charlie's called the test of peace in his life when he could feel he was straying outside the will of God because he no longer had peace about what was going on you know i've experienced that too when it's like when he just when god seems to just be there ever present that's kind of a good indication i'm in the will now that's not always that's not 100% but there's these we start feeling and recognizing the flow of god in our lives and we can start noticing You know, I've said this to Alyssa many times, just, you know, hand on heart, hand to God. I've said this to Alyssa many times. He feels so distant, or I feel really distant from God. Because I can recognize, man, I'm, I'm letting stuff get to me, and I'm letting things get in the way, and I'm stepping out of the boundaries he's given me, and I just need to step back in. Because that's the place of promise in my life where he'll always meet me. So we need to be so familiar, and, and Paul says, you know, one of the few times as Christians we can boast is we can boast about the measure of faith he gives us because we've explored it with God so well. So that's one of the few things Christians can boast about. We can boast about, here's what God has me doing. Here's why I'm here. But we're supposed to do that because it's not a boast if it's the truth. It's not a boast if I can back it up. Most of all, when I talk about being in our Metron energizes us, I want to define energize. It means to give vitality and enthusiasm. See, when I'm in the will of God, that's when I feel the most alive. That's when I see the most life in what I'm doing. And that's when I feel the most enthusiastic. Enthusiastic, full of energy and excitement for something. When I am not feeling those things, that's one of those heart check moments to go, what am I doing? Have I stepped out? Have I stepped back? Have I withdrawn? And I step back in, which the simplest thing is, by the way, I don't focus on my promised land. I focus on Jesus. And when I focus on Jesus, I naturally step back into the boundaries he has for me. Alyssa and I were talking about this the other day. We were talking about the promises of God in our lives and on this church. And we were talking about what do we do and how do we press in. And I said, more and more, I am fully convinced that the way we see the promises of God active in our life and active as in this church is the more and more that we look at Jesus. The more and more that we, whatever your, I said, whatever your orientation, look up or look in. Whatever your orientation, sometimes some of us, we look into Jesus, to the God that lives in us. Others of us look to the throne. Whatever your orientation, if you're looking at God, the promises that he has for you, the boundaries that he's marked for you, you will step into. So when you get distant, you step away, you step off, you get confused. The simplest thing is I turn back and I look at Jesus And I've put my attention on my shepherd. And just like a sheep, I start to follow him. It's natural. It's instinctive. We talked, you know, Alyssa, we sang wonderful worship. And it was Christ, the firm foundation, the solid rock. I was just like, thank you, Father, that, yes, the storms come and the wind blows. Your promised land is not a place of peace meaning nothing happens. Your promised land is a place of conquest and victory and habitation. So yes, the storm comes. Yes, things come against you. But if you just set your sights on Jesus, you stand on the rock, you know that you'll always be in that place, the most protective place you can be. Amen? Amen. So Father, we just thank you so much that you are showing us the measure you have given us. We thank you so much that you are so in love with us that you can't stop yourself. You are constantly talking to us. You are constantly sharing with us who you are in your person. And I thank you so much that when you give us the promise, when you give us the boundaries, that you don't ever step away from that. That that promise is always there in our lives, that your will is always a road we can step back on. I thank you, Father. I just pray that right now you would give us eyes to see the miracles all around us, that you would give us eyes to see your face, that you would give us the sense of being where we need to be. And you would help us begin to define the measure of faith, the promised land that you've given us. That you'd give us the faith to hear you in that, and you'd give us the faith to stay, and you'd give us the faith not to just be in it, not to just win victories, but, Father, to begin to inhabit the land you give us, inhabit the metron you give us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Thank you, guys. Part three next week is exciting. It'll be about inhabiting the land. It's not just enough to be in it, to walk it, or to have victories in it, but the Lord calls us to inhabit our promised land, our metron of faith. Amen? I like saying amen. Robert? Yeah.
1: This is a complimentary word. Um, I just want to acknowledge I'm grateful God doesn't just cut us off and say, that's it, I'm done with you. Because his reaction to me is he lets me complain, and then he shows me where I'm wrong. So the incident I'm going to talk about is I was just beginning to complain in my mind, uh, and every complaint is an accusation against the goodness of God. So I was just beginning, and it was a complaint about God's delay in answering a godly prayer. Right? Complaint, delay, godly prayer, and he just said three words. He said, Israel, Egypt, 400 years. So the next time you're tempted to complain about a delay, those are the three words I want you to remember. Israel, Egypt foreign.